Welcome to The Marcus Warren Show, powered by 960 Digital and the Wealth Empowerment Network. Now, here is your host, Marcus Warren. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the number one retirement and tax planning show in the region, The Marcus Warren Show. I am your host, financial advisor, tax and road agent, and author of the Retirement and Tax Playbooks, Marcus Warren. And I hope everyone is doing well on this Sunday. And... To my leftish of me, I am joined by our resident tax professional, D. How you doing, D? Hello and happy Sunday. And remember that if you miss any parts of the show and you want to catch up on anything that you missed, all you have to do is subscribe to the Marcus Warren Show podcast via Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Also, throughout the show, we will be offering our retirement rescue game plan. Now, you may be asking, what is a retirement rescue game plan? And that is a physical packet of information. That's going to help rescue your retirement from all the risks that threatens your nest egg once you are close and in retirement. Now, you also may be asking me, what is in that game plan, Marcus? And it's a lot of good stuff, by the way. You get a copy of my two books, a few different financial reports, and access to my webinar entitled Taxes in Retirement. Another question you may ask me is, how do I get my hands on that? Well, you can simply order that by going to warrenwealth.net. You go to the site. Put in your information, and that retirement rescue game plan will be delivered, by the way, free of charge, to your front door by the USPS. They're still around, right? Correct. All right. Once again, just go to warrenwealth.net. That's warrenwealth.net. Now, let's get on to the show. So, um, we are creeping, mm-hmm. you said earlier, yes, in our pre-production meeting, yes, that um, we're coming on the... Uh, uh, the precipice of fall. Correct. Yeah, the precipice of fall. It is, uh, I guess, next week, right? It's coming up on Thursday next week. Who decides when fall starts? Is it just Farmer's Almanac? Yes. Um, oh, it is? Yes. That was a quick yes. You, you know exactly <laughs> who, uh, who did that. You're like, yes. okay, good. And, and by the way, fall is my favorite season. I love it so much. It's good. Well, number one, the leaves change. Oh, yeah. Um. Uh, it's the right temperature and hopefully it's still the right temperature. We know that we have this climate change going on, you know, not trying to get, uh, well, Hey, by the way, what, I think I said that last time I talked about climate change, I, I started thinking political Yeah. and it's, it's weird when you bring that up. Right. That that's the first thing that comes to my mind when I say climate change, that it's a political issue and it's not, but, uh, it is a little warmer and, um, it's going to be a, a warm one this weekend, but, uh, we shall see. We shall see, but I love fall fashion, um, fall, football, all the F's that you can think of. That's why I like the fall. But let's get into Money Matters. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. Money, money, All right, so uh, let's talk markets. Um, so you've likely noticed the volatile spurts that have been hitting the markets over the past few weeks. And really to understand what's going on, let's, uh, let me use this analogy. Let me tell you a story. So imagine that you are at or inside a fancy restaurant, all right? White tablecloths and everything? Yeah, sure. Why not? Um, you're waiting for your meal to be prepared. But while you wait, you can watch the chefs as they work. And then suddenly, you notice that there seems to be some uncertainty going on in the kitchen. Now, by listening closely, you can just barely make out what the chefs are arguing about. Um, Does this recipe call for two teaspoons of salt 
or does it call for two tablespoons of salt? Or is it two cups of salt? And that's what they're arguing about. One by one, uh, the other diners, they start paying attention to the debate also. Now, each voices their opinion to each other. Now, some diners, they want the chefs to add two teaspoons of salt. Why? Well, they rationalize that while you can always add more salt later, that you cannot ever unsalt your food. So true. It, so it true. is so true. I have had, I've had an experience with soy sauce. Okay. Put too much on there <laughs> yes. and oh. ruined, I just, it ruined it. Anyway, but too much salt will ruin both the meal and everyone's night. But others point out that there are no salt shakers on the tables. Meaning if more salt is needed, the chefs will have to basically do it themselves. And that will delay the meal. And people, really, they want to eat right now. But, so it's better just to use the two tablespoons of salt. And sure, maybe the food may end up a little bit salty, but that's way better than overly bland food. Uh, or no food at all, trust me. I, I do not like overly bland food. Not oh, sure yeah. about you. Same. Not a big fan. Mm-hmm. So as the wait drags on, the diners, they start getting a little nervous. They decide to amend their order and ask for less food. Other diners, they decide to leave the restaurant entirely. And then finally, the head chef, uh, the head chef announces that the restaurant is committed to adding just the right amount of salt so they will add it gradually, little by little, until they know that they have the right amount. Unfortunately, when the chef said this little speech, while providing clarity as to his or hers intentions, it does nothing to quell the concerns of all the diners. Some applaud and are happy, and others boo. Uh, some rush to order more food, while others, they ask for the check. Check, please. Uh, but before long, the noise is deafening. And so as you're sitting at the table, maybe you're thinking, you know what, I, might, I probably just should have ordered pizza. But anyway, now, as crazy as that may seem, um, this little play uh, example that I just gave, it actually describes scenario. That's what I was looking for. The Hmm. scenario that I just threw out there about the Hmm. restaurant. It actually describes some of what is going on in the markets right now, right? Um, Except that the chefs are the Federal Reserve, the Fed The food is the economy, and the recipe is for bringing down inflation. And of course, the salt are interest rates. All right? So, for the last nine months, uh, the Fed or the Federal Reserve has been trying to follow really, I want to say, an incredibly tricky recipe. They're trying to bring down inflation without bringing down the economy. Now, Just as chefs use salt to flavor food, our nation's central bank uses interest rates to help moderate runaway consumer prices or inflation. Now, the problem that both face is it can be difficult to know how much of that magical ingredient to use. Think about this. Just as too much salt can make food unbearable to eat, believe me, I have my issue with that soy sauce, um, raising interest rates too high, too fast can can trigger a recession, right? And so, and then, and then also raising interest rates too little, however, might do, it might not do anything to stop or put a pause on this inflation. And like those other diners in the scenario uh, who needed to eat, 
consumers, they need relief. Or I should say, we need relief from inflation right now. Now, those diners, and I'm doing my air quotes, no one can see them. Those diners, of course, are investors. And every investor has their own opinion on what the Fed should do. More importantly, every investor is trying to guess what the Fed will do. The guessing is the prime reason. Listen to this. The guessing is the prime reason, reason for all the volatility that you're seeing in the markets right now. Now, investors who believe that rising interest rates will, will hurt corporate earnings and trigger, and, and trigger a recession, they decide to, they, they want to go eat somewhere else, right? Which brings the stock market down. The investors slash diners who see the restaurant as the best place in town, regardless of interest rates, they order more food and that drives the markets back up. Now, remember in the scenario how the head chef came out and made that big speech. Well, that's my maybe feeble attempt at describing what the Fed chairman, we call you know, his name, Jerome Powell. Mm-hmm. I call him Jay Powell. Mm-hmm. Jay Powell. Yeah. Um, that's basically what he did a few weeks ago. So every year, um, Jay Powell uh, delivers a speech in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, which I've never been, which I've heard is nice mm-hmm. and may need Mount- to go. Mountains and beautiful yes, scenery. And a bunch of just nothingness. But the majesty that is America. Anyway, but they go to Jackson. He, he goes to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, where he reveals the Fed's view on the economy. So in the days leading up to his speech, some investors thought that he might announce that the Fed would look to dial back on hiking rates much further. Now, their reasoning was that some data suggests that inflation is peaking, so there's no need to keep raising interest rates because once it hits its peak, it starts to come back down. But Jay Powell, he wasted no time in dashing those hopes. Um, In his speech, uh, Jerome basically said that uh, there's uh, no place to stop or pause. He said fighting inflation will remain the Fed's number one priority for the foreseeable future. So that basically means that the Fed is going to continue to gradually uh, raise interest rates, um, likely around probably about a point and a half, not a point and a half, about a half a point or uh, uh, three quarters of a point every few months or so. And then he also said, and let me pull this up. This is what he said. He said that um, this is it, the, the quote, quote, while higher interest rates, slower growth and softer labor market conditions will bring down inflation. They will also bring some pain to households and businesses. Mm. These are the unfortunate cost of reducing inflation. But a failure to restore price stability would mean far greater pain, unquote. So in other words, um, bringing down inflation is simply more important than stimulating economic growth right now or propping up the markets, right? So this is why there's been so much of this volatility uh, in the markets lately. Um, It's also why we can expect uh, this volatility to continue, which we saw a lot this week. Um, And definitely we're going to see a lot in the short term. And many economists expect that the Fed is going to hike rates uh, closer to that three quarters of a percent um, uh, here in the next uh, few weeks or so. So don't be surprised to see more volatility before and after that announcement if it comes. So 
the reason I'm telling you this is to basically to assure you that while volatility is, it's never pleasant, it's never fun, it's not unexpected. Nor, frankly, from, from my, perspective, my perspective, do we feel that it's something that you should have to stress over. You see, here, what, what, we, do, what we do here at, at Warren Wealth um, is we act more like, um, I'm going to keep the analogy going here, fi- uh, financial dietitians okay. than anything else. Um, by the way, that's the last metaphor that I'm going to use. All right, no <laughs> promise. Um, but a dietitian focuses on using the fundamentals of good nutrition to help people eat better, right? Healthier foods so they can achieve their health goals, regardless of what's you know, in style or what celebrity fad diet that's out there. It's all about having a good dietitian. So as a financial planner, my job is to help our clients or my clients achieve their financial goals in, pain, in part by making uh, good, sound, long-term decisions, not overreacting to what the Fed does or what they say or what the market thinks about it. And if you're, and if you're a do-it-yourselfer, good luck because I know those, those emotions kick in and it might cause you, what I always say, to do the wrong thing at the wrong time all the time. But to put it simply, the volatility that we've seen lately is the same old story we've been reading about all year long. It's the same story we'll probably continue to read about moving forward. And for that reason, my advice is to ensure that my clients, and if you were my clients, I'd be giving you advice, but this isn't really advice. It's just, it's my opinion, is to ensure that my clients have a plan in place that can withstand volatility and allow them to enjoy, hey, beginning the fall, right? There Just coming up yes. based on the farmer's almanac, yes. right? Rather than stressing about all the headlines. And I know it's tough. Turn the TV off. Stop reading that stuff. You're going to freak yourself out. I have my clients who do have that stuff on all the time, and they are freaked out, and they freak me out sometimes, right? Anyway. All right, coming up next, let's talk about uh, some uh, student loans and loan forgiveness. All right, you're listening to The Marcus Warren Show. Oh, yeah. Here we go. This is the Go-Go's, right? This is the Go-Go's. Yeah. This is, um, Our Lips Are Sealed. And uh, this song came out uh, in 1981. It was a top 20 hit in the U.S. and a top 50 hit in the U.K. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Super 80s. No, it's it's all 80s. All 80s, all the time. Not on this station, because you know, we you know, got to ratchet Orange this down. Yeah. Anyway, welcome back to the Marcus Warren Show, where we talk retirement planning, investment management, tax planning, all things retirement. Um, so... I'm going to do a quick fact check on myself from yes. the earlier segment. So we talked what about the, the beginning of fall coming up. Uh, or autumn coming up uh, here next week. The Farmer's and it's, Almanac. It's the Farmer's Almanac who reports it, but really um, the uh, f- 
the start of fall is determined by the Earth's tilt. So I knew as you were going to say the, the solar yes. system. Something nerdy. As, I knew it was coming. Uh, an astrophysicist, yes, I'm <laughs> going to explain to you how seasons work. No, I'm just yes. kidding. But it's basically the Earth's tilt is moving away from its maximum lean towards the sun. Oh and so the sun's rays that are coming in from... <laughs> the sun's rays that are coming in, they've moved below the equator. They're starting to move below the equator. So we're experiencing fall in the northern hemisphere, fall and winter, while the southern hemisphere experiences is the warmer weather and that's how seasons work <coughs> oh you're, you're okay finished you're yes. all right all right let's get to the good stuff all right let's talk um let's talk student loan forgiveness which uh um i know a lot of people have questions uh and i have some answers all right so you've probably heard by now that the government plans to forgive Federal student loans for roughly 20 million Americans. And so here is what we know about the loan forgiveness uh, so far. Um, so uh, the Department of Education, they are going to forgive up to $10,000 in federal student loans to single borrowers who uh, earned less than $125,000 in households that made less than $250,000 in 2020 or 2021. And also borrowers who uh, um, a federally held undergraduate, graduate, and parent plus loans, they're also eligible, even if the loans are in default. And then lastly, recipients of Pell Grants are also going to receive an extra $10,000, totaling $20,000 for them in total debt forgiveness with the same income thresholds. Now, um, the student loan payment moratorium is also extended through the end of this year. That means that payments start on your new balances on January 1st of next year, which is 2023. But, so, well, first of all, that's the basis of um, the uh, student loan forgiveness announcement. Now, here's a big detail um, that I think got left out of most headlines. So under the new Department of Education rules, monthly payments on undergraduate debt is going to be slashed to 5% of a borrower's discretionary income and the amount of income shielded from repayment calculations will also increase. Now, so what does that mean? That basically means that this rule change, the, uh, the, the 5% of borrowers discretionary income. This rule change this rule change could end up cutting monthly payments by more than half for millions of folks out there. And it might even be a bigger deal than that one-time debt forgiveness. So 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 that's that on 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 the um, the student loan forgiveness. Um, but I've received a lot of questions in regards from the families and the clients that, that I work with. So I want to go over some of those questions that I've received. All right. Um, just to get it out there to the public, you know, being a man of the people, man of the peeps is what I call myself. I want to get it out and let everybody know that, uh, Hey, you have questions. I have answers. So the first question is um, that, that, I, that I generally receive is will they're like, Hey, Marcus, Will I, owe will I owe taxes on the forgiven loan amount? And my answer to that is it depends. Now, while you would typically owe federal taxes on any forgiven debt, the American Rescue Plan, they exempt, 
they exempted the student loans from the usual federal tax rules. So, you know, so you won't most likely not have to pay federal tax. Let's talk about state tax. So many states, they've decided not to levy state taxes, but some states, they may. Or some states, they haven't announced that, they haven't announced their position yet. So depending on where you file your state income taxes, you might owe tax on some of that forgiven debt. But just take a pause, relax, breathe, and you'll see. All right? So, there, so that's that. Another question I get asked is, hey, Marcus, what if I made loan payments during the moratorium? Can I get a refund? Um, and my answer to that is very likely. Any payments on your qualifying federal loans made since March 13th of 2020, it can be refunded by contacting your local or your local your loan servicer, all right? So you may be able to um, um, get a refund for the payments you've made since March of 2020, excuse me, of 2020. All right, another question is, hey, Marcus, how do I get my loans or my kids' loans, how do I get that forgiven? So, um, and the answer is, according to uh, the Department of Education, um, an online application is going, going to be available, I think what I read was October. And then you'll have until December of 2023 to apply. Now, those who have already filled out FAFSA forms for 2021 or 2022 uh, for themselves or their dependent children, they may be automatically enrolled in the forgiveness program because their relevant income information is already on file, right? Once you put stuff into the, the grid, they got gotcha, you, right? They got gotcha. you. That's what I say. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, all right. Um, another question that I've been asked is, okay, Marcus, how big of a deal is this whole thing, economically speaking? And so my opinion is this, it's um, how big of a deal is this student loan forgiveness? Um, It's hard to say yet, Um, you know, court challenges or administrative hurdles, they could change what actually happens and for whom. Uh, Some some people think that uh, forgiving student loans is a bad idea. Uh, But the thing is, the thing is this, the federal government, and they've forgiven loans for defrauded students, small businesses, farms, and public service employees for years. So those concerns are probably overblown. Matter of fact, Goldman Sachs, uh, some of those uh, economists, they ran some numbers on the expected effect of the current plan on the economy, the student loan forgiveness on the economy. And they concluded that it probably won't have much macro impact at all, uh, though the caps, although the caps on the monthly payments, that should increase household income. Like I said, the thing that, that is missing in all this is, is the fact that they uh, slashed uh, that cap on the monthly payments. And that is going to at least help out a lot of borrowers um, in regards to, to they're going to have more money in their pocket or more money coming in every month because their, uh, their student loan payments are going to drop uh, pretty dramatically. All right, um, another question that, that I've been asked, and I had to throw this one in here because it's funny. They're like, hey, Marcus, uh, so if they're going to be forgiving all this debt, uh, the student debt, hey, should I take out more loans so they'll be forgiven? Hmm. <laughs> and my answer to that is no. Please, please oh. don't, don't do that. Um, so far, only loans initially dispersed 
by June 30th of this year, June 30th, 2022, is going to be covered under the administration's uh, loan forgiveness plan. Anything taken out afterwards is not going to be eligible. So don't run out there and try to get your master's, your doctorate, your law degree, your uh, what else? What else is well, out there? Still, you yeah. can do that. Well, well, I mean, you know, you can, but just don't think that you're doing it just to get, get some free money. Get some free money. No, it's not like that. It's not going to work. Don't do it. All right. Um, I bet the follow-up question that people are having after they realize that it won't be forgiven if they've taken it out after that June date is, how do I cancel this loan I just took out? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yep. Uh, what? Can't get it, I can't get it forgiven? How do Oops. I get it out of this? Um, and then the last thing is, is people say, okay, so what should I do right now? And the answer to that is nothing. Not a dang thing. Uh, the details are still being hammered out and more information is going to be coming. A great place to start to get alerts if you're looking to have these, uh, these loans forgiven is from the Department of Education. All right. Go to their website and uh, you'll be able to you can get on their alert tracker. And when more information comes out about how to apply, things of that nature, you will get those um, uh, those results. Um, and then the last thing, just just watch out for scammers. Um, we're expecting a lot of scammer activity targeting people waiting for student loan relief. But please be very careful with emails or text messages claiming to be about your loans. Um, Get your information straight from reliable sources like the Department of Education and your student loan uh, servicers uh, official website. And of course, you know, us here, you know, we, we tend to have our ear close to the pulse of the all things economic. And so um, uh, just make sure that you're not uh, you don't get uh, caught up in, in, in somebody trying to scam you um, out of anything. But uh, that's basically it. That's all I got on the student loan debt forgiveness plan. Obviously, if you have any other questions, if you need any, if you need any guide, guidance, just uh, um, go to our website, uh, warrenwealth.net, uh, schedule a 15-minute phone call, and we'll be able to answer some of your questions. All right, coming up next, we're going to get into a D's Tax Corner. You're listening to The Marcus Warren Show. Oh, yeah, we are stuck in the 80s here. There you go. With some uh, old Janet Jackson. Now, um, this song came out in 1986, and it's When I Think of You. Okay. One of the Jacksons there. Number one, by the way, in the uh, U.S. All right. Number 10 in the U.K. Okay. So this is when, I almost want to say the 80s is when she was at her peak. She probably, I don't know if she peaked after that, but I, you know, I do think that she was, uh, I don't know. I'm not too familiar with Janet Jackson's music, so probably 80s. Well, maybe late 80s, early. maybe early 90s. I mean, she's had a long career, but I'm trying to think of when she was at her peak of her powers. Anyway, welcome back to the show, the Marcus Warren Show. Remember that you can request your retirement rescue game plan. All you have to do is go to warrenwealth.net. Now, that retirement rescue game plan will help rescue your retirement from all the risks that threatens your nest egg when we're talking about market risk, inflation risk, and most importantly, tax rate risk. You have to protect your hard-earned money from the IRS. Once again, all you have to do is go to warrenwealth.net. Now, um, 
I guess it's time for um, some tax corner, and uh, we don't have any intro music anymore, so um, mm. I guess we'll... Uh, Just get right into it. I guess we shall uh, get right into it. D's Tax Corner. All right, so King Charles III has ascended to the throne in the United Kingdom after his mother, the late Queen Elizabeth II, passed away recently. Uh, they are still in a period of mourning, according to what I have read. Um, so in case you were wondering, no, he does not have to pay the UK's inheritance tax on the massive wealth that he has just inherited. And that's because of a deal that the royals made with the government about 30 with years ago. Yes, with the devil known as the UK government. So the estate tax rules in the United Kingdom say that regular citizens, also known as commoners, uh, must pay the standard inheritance tax rate, which is 40% of any part of an estate that's valued above a threshold of about 375,000 US dollars. Now there's some exceptions like money left to a spouse or a charity, but basically if you leave over that amount, you are hit with a 40% tax bill. Now inheritance tax in the United States works a little bit differently, really kind of depends on the property that you are leaving and similarly your relationship to the person that you are inheriting it from. Now, under an agreement with the monarchy that then Prime Minister of the UK in 1993 named John Mayer, uh, their agreement... John Mayer? Uh, Major. John oh, Major. Okay. <laughs> yes, not like, John oh, Mayer, the singer. The, no. the singer? No, oh, different, okay. different person as Prime Minister John Major. <laughs> Announced in 1993 that assets passing from a sovereign. Body is a wonderland. Yes, not different. That, no, no, not that okay, one. Not no, that okay. one. Yes. Okay. Assets passing from a sovereign to their successor aren't subject to this inheritance, tan, uh, inheritance tax. And luckily for Mr. King Charles III, because the net worth of the royal family about. A lot of money. A lot of money. <laughs> $28 billion, according to really? Forbes. Yes. They're worth that $28 billion? $28 billion. Yes. Now, this includes the Crown Estate, which is about $19.2 billion dollar portfolio of real estate. Yes. Uh, yeah. Includes um, a lot of real estate property, obviously. So, the... Um, that deal at the time, the prime basically they were just saying no, the queen doesn't have to, the royal family doesn't have to pay inheritance tax. Um, the queen um, Elizabeth at the time and uh, King Charles they agreed to pay a personal income tax um, because there was Wait, some. Th so they have to agree. So so they cut a deal with the UK to agree to pay. Uh yes, because the royal crown doesn't have to pay any personal income taxes either. But there's some bad sentiments that the general public has when it comes to people who have a lot of wealth and don't pay taxes. We're familiar with that here in the United States when you hear about billionaires not paying their fair share of taxes. And of course, that sentiment, that negative sentiment existed in the UK as well. And so the royal uh, family decided that they're going to volunteer to pay some income taxes um, because a lot of the wealth that they've generated has come at the hands of some of the constituents that they might serve um, in the UK. Yeah. So, you know, when you think about, um, estate tax, um, um, you know, most people, you know, are, are, have to pay it. Um, not most people, um, very rarely do people even have to, to pay estate tax. So, um, when you have what, 28 
billion dollars? Is it billion? Oh, yes, net worth of twenty eight billion. Wow. Correct. That's a lot of money. It is a lot. That's a lot of money, and and so when that passed over to um, King Charles. King Charles mm-hmm. No estate tax. No estate tax. So let's uh, contrast. Let, let, let's compare and contrast with our um, inheritance or, or, or estate tax or death tax. Now, what most people will have you uh, believe um, is that they, we have an estate tax problem, right? The transferring wealth from one generation to the next. And the answer is we don't. We don't have one really at all. Well, Marcus, why are you saying that? Well, um, I'm saying that because you can't be fooled by the smoke and mirrors that um, the people, uh, the one percenters, always try to sell uh, the middle class. The main thing is you don't have to worry about any kind of estate tax if, unless you make over about 12 not even make, unless your estate is worth over $12 million. And that's, by the way, if you are single. If you are married, you don't have to worry about an estate tax. If you make over 20, I mean, if you have an estate worth $24 million. And I dare to say that 99.9999, nah. 100% of our listeners out there <laughs> may not have a estate if you're married over 24 million or if you're single over 12. And by the way, if you are a listener and uh, you do have a estate uh, that's valued over that, then go to warrenwealth.net and schedule your <laughs> call and we can uh, discuss uh, some of these tax planning options that we may have for you. Anyway, But the bottom line is, unless you have an estate valued over millions of dollars, you don't have to worry about it. But what happens is we are fed this narrative of this inheritance tax, this this estate tax that you're going to have to pay um, 40%. By the way, um, uh, that high... Um, the, the highest rate that your estate can be taxed if you if you have an estate valued, by the way, over that those thresholds is 40%, right? So um, you're going to have to pay, potentially pay 40% if you have an estate valued over $12 million. And so, by the way, you don't have to worry about paying that tax on that first $12 million or $24 million if you're married. That is exempt from any kind of estate tax. So the only time that you pay any kind of estate tax is if you earn $1 more than that 12 or $24 million threshold. And so most people don't have to worry about it. I get calls about it all the time. And I'm like, you don't have to worry about it. It's a common misconception. Um, (laughs) And so it looks like the UK and the US have that same tax rate, the 40%. But the difference is the threshold in the UK is a lot lower. It's about $375,000. Oh, it's not the $26 billion? It's not like, $26 uh, billion. That's just for the royal family. Wow. That's their exception. Everybody else, the commoners, they have a threshold of $375,000, meaning that if their estate is $375,000 in one, that's when they have to start paying that 40% tax. And, and, and you know, think about this. I mean, you know, I, our tax system mainly benefits the rich. Um, the middle class what? always always gets screwed. 
And it's just gone up and up and up. And when you think about it, and, and how far do I want to go back? Now, I'll, I'll go back to 1980. 1980, um, the exemption amount was $161,000, right? In let, let's fast forward to uh, 1985, it was $400,000, that exemption amount. In the year 2000, it was $675,000. So any estates over that threshold, then you were subject to an estate tax. Then in uh, 2011, it jumped to $5 million. So any estate over $5 million was subject to a state tax. So uh, the rich were sheltered if you had an estate um, that was uh, under that, that $5 million threshold. And today, in 2022, like I said earlier, and these are single rates, you just double it basically for the married rates. Right now, it's $12 million and 24 if you are married. And so all I'm saying is, is that most people don't have to worry about the estate tax. But uh, whenever election season comes around, midterms or presidential election, whatever it may be, They talk about taxes and the estate tax. And really, the bottom line is most people don't have to worry about it, but we vote, you know, for for some of these things that won't even affect us. And gifts work the same way. That gift, it's a gift and estate tax out here in the U.S., so it all falls under that same threshold. I know that there's a misconception that you can only give away $16,000 per year. It's $16,000 for 2022. goes up a little bit every year. And while that's true, that you can gift $16,000 without having to file a tax return, you actually can gift up to that $12 million while you're living or pass it along on your desk without having to pay any sort of taxes. That's a a good point, yes. And you can gift up to $12 million without having even having to worry about gift tax and any of that stuff. You get that exemption. By the way, if you have questions about estate tax, gift tax, anything like that, that is what we do all day, every day. Our value proposition is we just don't talk about investments and retirement planning. The value that we bring to clients is the fact that we know taxes, we know and understand taxes, and that is what we do here in the office. All right, coming up next, we're going to jump into some news you can use and news you can't use. You're listening to The Marcus Warren Show. All right, some... uh, Know that voice. Mariah Carey. So, oh, we jumped from the 80s to the 90s. This song came out in 1995. It is Fantasy by Mariah Carey. By the way, number one in the U.S. Yes, it was. Number four in the U.K. Okay. This is when she was also at the peak of her powers. Mm-hmm. You know, not bad at all. Well, there you go. Well, welcome back to the show. The Marcus Warren Show. Remember that you can request your retirement rescue game plan, which is a physical packet of information that will help rescue your retirement from all the risk that threatens your nest egg. Once you are close and in retirement, you're going to get a copy of my two books, a few different financial reports, and you'll get access to my webinar that is entitled Taxes in Retirement. All you have to do is go to warrenwealth.net. That's warrenwealth.net, and you will get that retirement rescue game plan, that recession rescue game plan that uh, will be delivered to your front door, warrenwealth.net. 
Now, it's time to get into some news you can use. All right, so about 1.6 million taxpayers who missed deadlines for filing their 2019 and 2020 federal income tax returns will get automatic refunds of late uh, filing penalties under a new IRS pandemic relief program. Taxpayers, including individuals and many businesses, will receive relief totaling $1.2 billion for an average about $750 per return. Taxpayers have uh, have to file those returns by the end of this month, by September 30th, or they miss out on the relief. The IRS said the penalty waiver will help struggling taxpayers who might have been affected by COVID-19 and waited two years too late to file their tax returns. <laughs> I mean, come on, get, get with the program. Yes. I mean, I mean, I, I know. I mean, we deal with with taxes a lot and tax and debt, tax and debt relief and all yeah. that stuff, and it's like. Uh, fire taxes, man. Every once I mean, in a while, people fall behind. You well, know, yeah, two and three years behind. A couple years behind, <laughs> yes. So under the under the IRS plan, those who filed their um, federal tax returns late and might have had to pay a penalty will get a refund of that penalty. Taxpayers who filed late and were child, charged penalties but didn't pay them yet will just have those penalties canceled. You don't get a refund if you didn't pay it already. Um, and the late filing penalties can be significant. Now, there's a difference between late filing penalties and late payment penalties. So... There's two types of penalties that you can incur if you don't file your taxes and you don't pay them. Yes. Late filing penalties typically total about 5% per month of unpaid tax for individuals, up to a maximum of 25%. So somebody owing $10,000, for example, would owe $500 a month, up to a cap of $2,500. Okay. The late filing penalties for businesses are a lot steeper. They're a minimum of, I think, $210 uh, per month that is late uh, for partnerships and S-Corps. Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, there you go. I mean, it's, you know, the IRS is behind. Yes. Um, As a matter of fact, it's funny because speaking of the IRS, my uh, my mom called me uh, earlier this week and one of her uh, friends that that, um, uh, she works with. Um, wanted to know because they've been trying to get in contact with the IRS. Oh goodness gracious! And of course, you know the wait times. It's it's it's, it's a pain trying to yes. get in contact with them. And they were like, "Is there a website I can go to to like schedule huh. a time to an appointment?" Wow! And I just laughed hysterically and said, <laughs> "No, you got to just wait on hold for the hour, hour and a half until this." Uh, you know, this Biden plan kicks in and the 87,000 uh, agents are fully staffed. And then maybe, maybe, just maybe that whole time ago from a couple of hours to maybe an hour or so. But we shall see. That would be really nice having a, a calendar schedule, schedule your phone call, schedule your 15 minute phone call with the IRS. Come on. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that would be really nice. They don't believe in efficiency. They do it's not. It's the government. No. They do All that right. on purpose. Oh, what else you got? Probably. Okay. The biggest freight railroads and union leaders reached a tentative labor agreement to avert a nationwide strike that could have probably crippled segments of the U.S. economy. So President Biden and White House officials interceded to broker a deal to avoid some transport disruptions um, that could have made an impact on supply chains and put new pressure on prices. Um, business groups and key rail customers such as energy companies and national retail retailers have been calling for the government to help avoid a strike. Union members have been working without a contract since 2019 and labor leaders have been trying to negotiate a new contract basically for the railroad workers. The railroad workers wanted um, 
to negotiate some uh, wage increases into the deal and also wanted to address some new attendance policies that have been implemented by the railroads uh, over the last couple of years. Right. So um, they're forcing, basically they wanted um, to not be penalized for taking time off for medical uh, reasons. Um, uh, okay. Uh, well, first of all, mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting because this is just funny to me a little bit. Um, yes. So we're talking about uh, unions yes. and strikes. Yes. And then we're talking about railroads. Correct. Right? And um, it just reminds me, I'm like, are, are we, what is this, 1960? We've gone back like, in time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, railroads, I mean, I mean, you know, yes, I do know that there's logistics and people and, and manufacturers ship their stuff still on, you know, the, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. Rail via, lines. via yep. train and Freight things trains, of that nature. Yep. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I guess it's not mainly to the forefront. Where, you know, but uh, it's just funny yeah. to me that, you know, there was a, a, a pending railroad strike before it was averted. Um, yes, and by a negotiated contract, I'm like, yeah. What is this? You know, Jimmy Hoffa come back? Yes. What's going on around right. here? Right. That's funny. And I think the reason that, that it, it's not at the forefront is because we don't use our, ra- we don't have a good rail system in this country for commuter transportation, at least. So I don't, we don't think we have a good one it. for. Right, either. The, I mean, all I know. Sometimes I'm on uh, LaGrange Road, and for our podcast listeners, you don't know, I'm getting local on everyone. LaGrange Road in front of St. Aloysius uh, Catholic Church, and the train had just be stopped. Yeah. Not even moving. Yeah. Just stopped and blocking the road that I have to get on. Right. Just stopped, Mm -hmm. and I got to turn all the way around, and I'll wait my dumb self will sit there and wait a good 10 minutes thinking well maybe it'll start back up and yeah. start moving it's not right. even moving oh. it is stopped mm. mm-hmm. not stopped yes <laughs> it's yes. stopped not even slowly <laughs> creeping along just stopped and i waited 10 minutes i'm 10 minutes i'm like what the heck and it's and we know how long trains are yes oh, and yeah. this sucker is just blocking uh, the, the, the flow of traffic mm-hmm. everything so i just got to turn around yep. and go back a long way anyway We spent too long on railroads. What else you got? (laughs) FedEx, (laughs) speaking of transport, FedEx said its quarterly revenue fell below its expectations and it was closing offices and parking some aircraft to offset declining volumes of packages moving around the world. Of course, stock prices fell about 19% in off hours trading on Thursday morning after the, on Friday morning, actually, after the, um, a uh, company announced their results Thursday evening. FedEx CEO, uh, new CEO, took over in June, said they're taking actions to reduce costs, including freezing hiring, closing 90 FedEx office locations, parking some cargo aircraft, and reducing their Sunday ground operations. Um, they didn't say if they're cutting uh, its workforce, but they are facing pressure from... Um, also facing pressure from an activist investor to boost their profitability. Um, the company said that results from its largest unit, which is the FedEx Express unit, were curbed by some weaknesses uh, globally in Asia and Europe. Yeah, the, the, the bottom line is, you know, I, I, an impending recession, I think, is, is on its way. Yeah. Um, you're starting to see, you know, FedEx is, is you know, cutting, uh, cutting a lot of their expectations, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. UPS stock is, is, is down near to date. Um, and that's because of global recession worries. Um, just to bring it closer to home, I was uh, talking to a, an, uh, an electrician um, at my house this week. And he was talking about how they've cut all their overtime. 
And I remember us, not saying that I'm Nostradamus or anybody, <laughs> but I remember us talking about, hey, they, may not, they might not officially say that there is a recession, but you just look at other indicators. And a lot of companies, and I said this a few weeks ago, have been uh, cutting staff, laying people off. They've been cutting advertising. They've been uh, cutting capital expenditures. Um, the corporations and the businesses are getting ready for some sort of recession and we have to read the tea leaves and as individuals and households, we have to start looking and doing those same things. Also, there you go. Thank you D for that news that you can use. And now, uh, we're going to give everybody what they need and we know what y'all need and what's really what you want. And that's the news you can't use. Well, a Kansas man who owns 1,110 pieces of Kansas City Chiefs memorabilia earned a Guinness World Record for the size of his collection. So his name is Kurt Herman. He first set out the record back in 2020 when he just had half of what he has today. He had 550 pieces. Right. Now his collection is over a thousand pieces of Chiefs memorabilia. And he's um, single, right? And Probably he, not married. I don't. Um, you know, you always say this when people collect stuff. You think that well, they can't find somebody else whether, who also collects stuff. Well, and they then, bring it all together into one house where you have the cat museum in the basement. You yes. have the Chiefs museum in the upper bedroom. Yes. You have the Harry Potter stuff in the living room. Right. You have the Star Trek collectibles in the dining room. Right, and um, it's uh, yeah that that's a match made in heaven, right? There we go. But that generally doesn't happen, oh, okay. um, and um, it, it's an unfortunate uh, uh, predicament for this gentleman to be in, where um, he, he you know will probably find never find a mate. I don't. Um, I don't think especially he thinks it's unfortunate. He probably does not, but yeah. I'm sure he has some regrets, and he will continue to have those regrets because I'm sure, even if there is a, a young lady that he ends up liking down the line, um, once you bring him into your house and you have all of that uh, football paraphernalia in your house, mm-hmm. that is called a deal breaker. Anyway, anyway thank you, Dee, for that news you can't use. And we all know what that music means. It means we've come to the end of the show. I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a great week and take it easy on this Sunday. Thank you for listening to the Marcus Warren Show. For more information or to request your retirement toolkit, contact Marcus at 502-339-8255 or visit his website at talktomarcus.com. Warren Wealth Management and Tax Planning and WGTK are not affiliated. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendations to buy or sell any financial vehicle. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with a professional specializing in the fields of tax, legal, accounting, or investments regarding the applicability of this information for their situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested.